Well, good morning. Good morning to you. I'm disappointed on Thursday evening, the sugar session, you're not going to come and, and eat sugar. Uh, we have got a, can we get the candy, we should get, Richard, we should get the candy floss maker out on Thursday. And as uh, Sarah's talking about sugar, we can eat candy floss. <laughs> that would be absolutely perfect. And I'm sure we'll illustrate everything that's going to be said about the health benefits of sugar. So diet, all kinds of different colours. Be fantastic. Right, uh, we're continuing our series in Jonah because life's not fair is what this series is called. And often life feels that way. Often stuff happens in life which doesn't feel fair. And Jonah's experience helps us to work through this question of life not looking fair. And uh, particularly focusing on three themes as we, as we go through this in terms of how we see this works out. So the first theme is, is God's sovereignty that God is in control, that God has a plan. And then we can see about God's mission, that God's plan is that people find him. And then the third big theme is about God's grace, that grace is what makes it possible for us to find God. And uh, today we're going to particularly focus in on the grace of God. And uh, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 2, which helps us see something of what the grace of God is and how we can receive more of God's grace. It's on page 541 in these Bibles. I'm actually going to read from the... Uh, NIV, we normally use the ESV, but I'm going to use the ESV today, uh, so the NIV for this passage, just because I think it expresses um, it in a, in, a, in a helpful way. Some of the phrases are slightly different and I think helpful, so you can follow along in the ESV if you want to, but I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It says this, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down the earth beneath barred me in forever but you lord my god brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away i remembered you lord and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs but i with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what i have vowed i will make good Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Lord, I pray that this morning as we look at this account of Jonah's life, that we would get a fresh understanding of your amazing grace. I pray for those in this room who have never yet grasped what the grace of God means. I pray for revelation to come. And I pray for those of us, Lord, who celebrate your grace and sing about it to again experience and understand more fully what it means to be those who receive God's incredible grace. So would you speak to us and minister to us, I pray, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, 
the second chapter of Jonah is very different from the rest of the book. The rest of the book is all movement. It's only a short book, four chapters, and it's all movement. It's Jonah running away from God. It's a boat. It's a storm. It's uh, a, a, a Jonah then going to Nineveh where he's meant to get to. It's him preaching to Jonah, Nineveh, walking through the city, proclaiming the word of God. It's a, a, a bionic plant that grows and provides shade for Jonah's head. and It's all kind of speed and movement, except chapter 2, where everything changes pace. Uh, Jonah chapter 2 is very reflective, that Jonah effectively writes a psalm as he's in the belly of the fish. He's been brought out of the chaos of the storm into the calm of the fish. And the fish is a dark and a smelly and a grave-like place to be. And it's also a good place for doing some reflection And I'm sure none of us have ever been swallowed by a fish, Uh, but we might have had times which are somewhat parallel to this. I think think for me, times I've had like this are perhaps in the early hours of the morning when uh, maybe you can't sleep, stuff going on, things in your mind, anxieties, and uh, and eventually you kind of think it's just not worth trying to stay in bed sleeping. It's better to get up and go downstairs and maybe make a cup of hot chocolate and sit and maybe read read my Bible. And those times which can be kind of out of the storm... uh, into a place which feels a little bit grave-like, early hours of the morning, everything's dark, everything's quiet, but a good time for reflection. And as Jonah reflects, he prays, and he prays a kind of a three-part uh, three prayer, three-part psalm. He, he recounts the facts of his situation. This is, this is what has happened to me. This is where I am. And then he prays, he describes how God has rescued him, that he's been in the storm, and God has rescued, God has intervened. And then he identifies the fact that salvation and grace are available found in God alone. And that's, that's not, not a bad model for prayer if we're in a, in, in a bit of a pit, if we're feeling in a bit of a grave-like situation, if uh, you feel like you're in the belly of the fish, if you're up at two in the morning because you can't sleep, troubled by different things going on. God, this is how things look to me. And God, would you rescue me? And God, I know it's only you who can rescue me. It's a pretty good model of prayer to to follow. And it's really in in the belly of the fish that that Jonah discovers something of God's grace. Grace, the undeserved, unearned favor of God. And Jonah really didn't deserve this. He really hadn't earned it. Jonah hadn't earned the grace of God. He, He was a prophet. He was someone who was called to speak the words of God. But that wasn't his own doing. That was a gift. He could only be a prophet because God in his grace had gifted him to be a prophet. He hadn't earned it. And he certainly didn't deserve God's grace, especially at this time. He he was a sinner. He he was being actively disobedient to God. God has said, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel there. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going. I'm going to run away. He was in active disobedience to God. He was caught in his own personal sin. And he didn't deserve the grace of God at all. He, he actually deserved punishment, but he instead finds grace. But it is grace in the belly of a whale. It's not grace found on the deck of a cruise ship. And often it's in the hard place that we do find grace. It's in the place of suffering. It's in the place of discipline. It's in the place of loss that we become aware of God's grace in a new way. It's when we come face to face with our own shortcomings and limitations. It's when we come face to face with the reality of our inability to save ourselves. And at that moment, we 
can ask and answer ourselves the question, where are we going to turn? Where do we turn in moments like that? Where do you turn? If you're, if you're in the belly of the fish, literally or metaphorically, where are you going to turn? Where are you going to go? You've run out of your own resources. You've run out of your own capacity. What are you going to do? And it's often in those moments that we actually find the grace of God coming to us and ministering to us. It's actually often in, the, in the, what can seem the bleakest place that we can become most aware of the, of the tenderness of God. Uh, I'll probably make her cry. Grace's dad died on uh, Thursday night, early hours of Friday morning. And uh, Grace and her mum and her brothers and Georgie were around the bedside. And Grace described how it was a moment of incredible tenderness as Grace's... I'm going to start crying myself. As uh, um, Grace's mum prayed for David and kind of prayed him into, into heaven as he died. And... There's something which is obviously sad, profoundly sad about a family member dying, but often it's in those kind of bleakest moments you're also most aware of the tenderness and the grace of God. And Jonah, as he was in this place of, uh, in the belly of the fish, he discovered something of the grace of God. He, he was in a terrible place, but it was also a good place. It was a good place for him to be. And so it might be that this morning you feel like you're in a bit of a terrible place, that you're in, the, in a bit of a, of a belly of a fish. And it might, might feel this is a terrible place to be, but actually that can be a really good place to be. It can be the place where God and his tenderness most enables you to experience his incredible grace again. But there's more going on here than immediately meets the eye. Jonah knows that his only hope is God's grace. But actually, his, his response to God is actually pretty cold-hearted. Jonah is a bit like the fish. There's not much warmth. There's not much warmth in Jonah any more than there is in a fish. And the four things I think it's worth us looking at in terms of Jonah's response to God and God's grace. And things, as I go through them, to keep our own eyes open in terms of, do any of these things apply to me? in how I respond to God and his grace at work in my life. I think the first thing to see is, is Jonah's lack of repentance. Jonah barely acknowledges his own sin in this psalm, in this prayer. He's more interested in self-pity than in confession. And he fails to acknowledge his own responsibility for why things are as they are. Now, how was it that Jonah ended up in the fish in the first place? If you read the, this, this prayer of Jonah's, it looks like it's everybody else's fault apart from his. Um, think back to how the story starts. Jonah runs away from God. He gets on the ship going the opposite direction from where he's meant to be going. God sends a storm to interrupt things, interrupt proceedings, and the sailors on the boat think they're going to die, and they say, whose fault is this? And it becomes clear it's Jonah's fault. And Jonah says, well, the only way we're going to get out of this is if I get off the boat, because I'm not meant to be on the boat. Now, the, the decent thing for Jonah to have done at that moment would have been to jump off the boat himself. But he doesn't. He says, well, if you want me off the boat, you're going to throw me off. He puts the responsibility upon the sailors rather than taking the responsibility himself. And here when he's in the fish and praying to God, he actually says in verse, in verse 3 that it's God who's thrown him into the sea. Now let's back up a little bit here. Who was it who 
disobeyed God? Who was it who tried to run away? Who was it who was deep asleep on the boat when the sailors thought they were about to drown? Jonah doesn't acknowledge any of that. Rather, it's all life has been unfair. He's got thrown into a, into a stormy sea. He's been swallowed by a fish, and it's the sailor's fault, and it's God's fault. And there's no sense of real repentance from him. That it was my fault, as it clearly was. So his lack of repentance really stands out. Also, secondly, his lack of self-awareness. Now, Jonah comes across as pretty self-obsessed, but completely lacking in self-awareness. And it's possible to have, be both those things, to be completely self-obsessed but totally lacking in self-awareness. And we, we might laugh at Jonah, and he's a comical character, and there's humor in the book. But actually this self-obsession but lack of self-awareness is all too common in us. And uh, you and I might be at times more like Jonah than we'd like to think we are. The thing about Jonah is that he's always aware about how he is feeling. But he's pretty oblivious to the impact of his actions upon other people. It's all about how am I feeling and hardly anything about what I'm doing, how that impacts upon other people. He's self-obsessed but lacks self-awareness. Now we might be able to reel off Ephesians 2.8. It's by grace that you've been saved and not of yourselves but a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. We might be able to reel that off. We know it's by grace through faith that we get saved but we can still lack any real warmth towards God. We can be unwilling to recognize our own liability, our own responsibility for the things that we've done wrong. And as Jonah prays in the belly of the fish, it seems that he recognizes God's grace, but he doesn't really live in the good of it. He doesn't really recognize his real need. His real need is to be in close relationship with God and enjoying God's grace and living in a way that reflects that. He doesn't recognize that, and he doesn't really recognize the real goodness of God either. He's grateful that God has stopped him from drowning, but he doesn't recognize the fundamental goodness of God. There's no warmth about him. And every one of us in this room, if, if you've never come to the place of trusting Jesus, whether we've been believers for years and years, we can, all of us might, can be in danger of this, of being kind of self-obsessed but lacking self-awareness, of being able to say, yes, it's the grace of God that saves me through faith, but not having any real warmth towards God, of not really seeing our need of God and seeing how good he really is, of our faith just becoming something which is cold, as it was for Jonah. He lacks self-awareness. The third thing about him is his spiritual blindness. Jonah recognizes the folly of idolatry, but he's blind to his own idolatry. Jonah prays, if you cling to an idol, you're going to miss out on God's grace. You're going to miss God's steadfast love. If you put your hope in an idol, you're going to miss what could be yours in terms of God's love poured into your life. And the thing is, it's easy to spot other people's idols. It really is. It's easy to look at someone else and point out the God in their lives. His job is his idol. She makes her kids her God. Football is the only thing he gets passionate about. She worships her house. He's obsessed with his appearance. All she cares about is money. It's very easy to spot the idols in other people's lives, but to be blind to the idols in our own lives. And 
It looks like Jonah is alert to everybody else's idolatry but his own. And so this prayer that he prays in one level is, is, is very orthodox. It's very sound. It's, this is where I am. God has saved me. He's the only one who can save me. God, would you rescue me? It's a very orthodox prayer. But it also displays his own idolatry that really Jonah's real God, the idol in his heart, is that the Assyrians, the, Ninevite, the Ninevites, wouldn't come to know God. His God is no, that no one should know the real God apart from him. That's his idol. And so when he's rescued in the belly of the fish, he makes his promise to God. He says, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to fulfill my vows to you because you've rescued me. But it's, even that is all about him. I mean, it's a brilliant declaration of kind of faith. I'm going to fulfill my vows. I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise. But it's a declaration of praise which is still all about Jonah. And really what he's saying in those verses is those nasty pagans, they worship idols, they can't know God's grace, but I am going to sacrifice and worship. It's all about him. And the real irony is that the pagan sailors have already sacrificed and worshipped. And the Ninevites are about to. And Jonah's in the, in the fish saying, those pagans, they won't do this, but I will. It's much less about God and all about him. He's spiritually blind. Jonah loves himself, but he doesn't really know himself. He knows that he needs rescuing out of the stormy sea, out of the fish, but he doesn't really see his need. And it's questionable how much he really knows God at all. Now again, the, the, the kind of sobering reality check for us is that we can be like Jonah. We can be recipients of much grace, but we can still be cold-hearted and blind. That actually, when it comes to it, it's all about me. Those pagans, they don't sacrifice and worship, but I will. Thank God that I'm here. Everything is okay. It's pretty much what Jonah says. Sometimes what we can say as well. He's spiritually blind. And then the fourth thing about him is his grace deficit. He just doesn't get grace. God's grace demonstrates his compassion for the world. God is full of mercy and care for the world, but Jonah is only concerned for himself. And we can see this in the way that Jonah approaches death. In in chapter one of the story, Jonah gets on the boat, which he's not meant to do. He goes to Tarshish, which he's not meant to do. God sends a storm, and Jonah thinks he will die, and actually he deserves to die. Chapter 2, Jonah prays for deliverance and God rescues. Jonah's thrown into the sea, but if God provides a fish, the fish swallows Jonah, he's saved, he's rescued. Chapter 4, Jonah wants to die, because he gets to Nineveh, he proclaims the good news of God's grace, Nineveh repents and puts its faith in God, and Jonah is so unhappy about their repentance that he wants to die. And you can see he misses God's grace at every point. When in chapter 1 he thinks he's going to die and he deserves to die, he misses God's grace. 
Because God's grace is forgiving, and God's grace is actually going to be that he wants to get Jonah. He's not going to, doesn't want to kill Jonah. He wants to get Jonah to go where Jonah's meant to be, and Jonah doesn't see that. He misses God's grace. In chapter 2, when he prays for deliverance and God does rescue, he misses God's grace because it becomes all about him. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to worship. For those pagans, they can't. He misses God's grace. The reason that God has rescued him, the reason that God has delivered him, is in order that he can go to Nineveh and proclaim the grace of God to those pagans. And in chapter 4, when he is so angry that he wants to die, he misses God's grace. Because the grace has been made very plain that these Ninevites who were hideous people turned in repentance to the living God and found God's grace and mercy themselves. And Jonah is angry about that. He has a grace deficit. He misses the grace of God at every point. He experiences the grace of God, but he's so unwilling to dispense it to others. He's mean-spirited and legalistic and cold-hearted. The fish has got more warmth about it than Jonah does. And the reality check for us is this, that If we don't lean into the grace of God, if we don't keep coming day by day and enjoying God's grace and receiving God's grace and allowing it to touch our hearts and warm our spirits, if we don't live in grace, if grace becomes simply something which we can say, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not yourselves, but the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. If it just becomes a formula for us for how we think we're going to get to heaven, we end up like Jonah cold-hearted, mean-spirited, legalistic. That's what happens. That's why churches, at times, become cold-hearted, mean-spirited, legalistic, because whole companies of people who are meant to know God and most proclaim God forget what grace is really about. It just becomes a formula for how we get our ticket to heaven. That's what it was for Jonah. He was cold, he was mean, he was legalistic because he didn't lean into the grace of God. He didn't really receive it, he didn't really live in it. Let's not make that mistake. In contrast to Jonah, then, we see the grace of God. See God's amazing grace. We see it in the way that God cares about the sailors. The sailors are, they're pagans, they don't know God, they don't belong to the people of Israel, but God has mercy upon them, he rescues them, he saves them. And through what happens to Jonah, he enables them to find out who he is. God cares about Nineveh. Why? Nineveh was hideous, the Assyrians were brutal, they were disgusting people. But God cares about that city and he cares about that people. He wants them to come and know them, know him. He, it even says, God even says he cares about the cows, Last verse of the book. What a weird way to finish a book of the Bible. There are 120,000 people in this city and lots of cows. God even cares about the cows. And he cares about Jonah. He does. And he wants Jonah to live in grace. And God wants us to live in grace too. There are some things which will keep us from the grace of God. Self-righteousness will keep us from the grace of God. Self-righteousness is when we justify ourselves rather than humbly responding to God. This is what Jonah did. He, he, he didn't humbly respond to God. There's, there's no sense of real contrition about him. There's no sense of, God, I've so messed up. I've got things so wrong. I've so rebelled against you. 
I ask for your forgiveness, for your mercy. There's, there's none of that. It's not in the prayer. It's just missing. He's self-righteous. I've been rescued. I will sacrifice. I will worship. I'll get to the temple again. I'll justify myself. He's self-justifying and he misses the grace of God. Let's, let's not justify ourselves. We can do it in our context. It's different. I live a good life. Come to church most Sundays. I give to the offering faithfully. I'm a nice person. We can be self-justifying rather than responding to God humbly and gratefully. God, you've forgiven me so much. I deserve nothing but your wrath. And instead you've been merciful towards me. Self-righteousness keeps us from grace. Idolatry keeps us from grace. Our idols offer us the world, but they keep us from God's grace and they kill us. Jonah's idolatry was his racism, his myopia, his xenophobia, his hatred of the Assyrians. That was his idol, and it kept him from the grace of God. Our idols can keep us from the grace of God, and it might be your job or your house or the football team or whatever. It can be anything. Our idols offer us the world, but they keep us from God's grace. And Jonah gets it right when he says those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's true. He didn't see it was true of him as well. And we need to be careful that in identifying the idols in other people's lives, we don't actually miss the fact that there might be idols establishing themselves in our lives. There might be things in my heart which are getting supremacy over God in how I conduct my life. We need to be alert to our own idols and chop them down in order that we might not be killed by our idols but receive God's life-giving grace. The way of grace is better than the way of idols and better than the way of self-righteousness it is. So how can we find God's grace? We need to see what God's grace is for. What is, what is the purpose of God's grace? It's primarily to restore our relationship with God. When we talk about God's grace, that's what it's about. It's about restoring our relationship with God. You know, Jonah ran from God and the sailors and the Ninevites were ignorant of God. But God wants them all to know him. He wants relationship restored. He wanted relationship with Jonah. He wanted relationship with the pagan sailors. He wanted relationship with the horrible Ninevites. That's what God's grace is about. God pours out his grace in order that our relationship with him might be restored. He wants us to know him. And so we're to run to him. Jonah tried to run from the presence of God. Let's be people instead who run to the presence of God. When we respond to God's grace, it frees us, it liberates us, it helps us to see things as they really are. You know, Jonah was, was spiritually blind. He got things, he just didn't see right. His eyes were clouded by his self-righteousness and by his idolatry. When you respond to the grace of God, God opens our eyes to see things as they really are because God starts to affect our hearts. And when God gets out of our hearts, that affects everything else. We start to see as we should. We start to see others' need, not as a problem, but as an opportunity for God to be manifest. We start to see other people, not as our enemies, but as those who as well can be restored to relationship with God. It affects everything. We respond to God's grace. We get warm. We get hot. Jonah was cold-hearted, mean-spirited, legalistic. God's grace brings us into life, into freedom, into joy. Let's run to God's presence. Let's run to grace. When we experience the grace of God, 
makes us less like Jonah and more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I, I want to be more like Jesus and less like Jonah. I know the proneness of my cold human heart is to be like Jonah. It's to be self-righteous. It's to be self-justifying. It's to carve out my own little piece of territory. It's to shrink in on myself. That's a natural tendency of the human heart. I don't want to be like that. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, the one by whom we experience God's amazing grace. Jesus, who was embracing of all. Jesus, who opened out his arms to embrace the world. Jesus, who loved his enemies and blessed those who cursed him and promised life to those who killed him. I want to be more like Jesus than Jonah. And the way to be more like Jesus is to respond to God's grace in Christ Jesus. Not as a cold formula, a ticket to heaven, but as something lived and experienced and breathed and felt. God's grace is wonderful. God's grace is amazing. And that's not just a line from a famous hymn. It's truth that changes our hearts and enables us to see. Let's respond to the grace of God. We're going to take bread and wine. I'm actually going to shoot down to 502 because I'm speaking there this morning as well. But you're going to break bread and wine here today. And I really want this to be a response to the, the grace of God. You know, when we, when we come to the bread and the wine, again, this is something, everything we do can become formulaic. Singing our songs, listening to a talk, praying, it can all become formulaic. But this isn't a formula, this is coming to Christ Jesus. Jesus commanded us to remember him as we take bread and wine, as we eat and drink together. And as we come and take the bread and the wine, we're coming to Jesus. We're making a step of faith. And today as we do that, I really want us to do that with this sense of, yes, I'm responding to God's grace. I'm coming to you, Jesus, to find fresh grace. And it might be those things which you need to straighten out in your heart. It might be that you've become spiritually blind. It might become that you become very self uh, conscious but lacking in self-awareness. It might become, be that you've become a little bit cold-hearted. It might be that you've become a bit myopic. It might be that you're becoming a bit self-justifying. And as we come to the table now, as we come and take the bread and wine, as we come to Jesus, we say, Jesus, would your grace come to me and soften my heart again? I don't want to be like Jonah. I want to be like you. Uh, and we're going to do it a little bit differently this morning because there will be people to serve bread and wine at each of the tables and to pray with you as well. And so this is an opportunity for everybody in the room to respond, to respond to Jesus and to experience his grace afresh. So I'll pray and hand over to the other guys who will lead into that. Uh, grace and I will shoot down the road to Fahuati and uh, yeah, pray for God's blessing on us. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible grace by which we are saved. Thank you that when we put our faith in you, grace is at work and we are justified, we're made right, we're declared to be acceptable, good, welcome before you. Thank you for that miracle. And I pray, Sovereign King, for us, I pray for us here at Gateway Church that you would keep us from being like Jonah, who, upon whom so much grace was poured, but who... It was just kind of like hard-shelled against your grace so often. It seems to bounce off him. Thank you that in your incredible grace you still used Jonah. You used him to 
caused a mighty revival to happen in that city of Nineveh. You, you caused Jonah, through Jonah, your grace to be made known to a huge multitude. But Lord, the, the tragedy that he himself didn't respond to your grace as he could have done, as he should have done. That he remains mean-hearted and cold and legalistic. And I, I pray, Jesus, that you'd keep us from that. So I ask now that as we come to you, Jesus, in the bread and the wine, that we would again receive and experience your incredible, phenomenal, amazing grace. I pray that we'd be a people who are open-armed, open-hearted to the world because you've been open-armed and open-hearted to us. I pray that as we have received grace, we would minister grace to others. And that we, we really would be a community, a church, which knows what it is to enjoy God's grace, not called in dead legalism and dead religion, but a people alive by the Spirit of God, enjoying all the benefits of God, amazed at your forgiveness of us, your acceptance of us. And so I pray you'd work this into hearts now as we respond to you. Amen. 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 Well, I love us to